Morning. <laughs> Daylight savings getting you. We're still groggy, trying to figure it out. Who went? Uh, who went trick or treating last night? Not not with your family. Not taking the kids. I'm talking about grown folks going out, raiding the neighborhoods, trick or treating. Anybody? Anybody throw a costume on as a uh, grown person? Anybody want to admit to it? What kind? Doctor Weber. What is it? Something we can share or no? <laughs> Nice, nice. Anybody else want to own it? Come on, let's admit it. Let's confess before we get going. What uh, what flavor costume? Doctor suit. So you're the last man standing. Nice, very good, very good. How many of you? How many of you have taught your kids the uh, ways of the Jedi and taught them how to cheat at the trick or treating? How to get more candy, maybe the double costume switch where they go out two or three times. Anybody? Uh, who's, ever done the tri- who, who's ever done the triple double costume go out? You're, you're lying. I don't want to say it, but I think we're lying here. Let's be good. How many of you have done the uh, just take one grab bag, the power grab? Dump it in and go? Anybody? Nobody. Very good. Yeah, you've done it? Congratulations back there. How'd that work out for you? Did you get called? <laughs> nice. Very good. How many of you raid your kids' candy? Like when they bring it home, let's be honest, you're using your kids. You're sending them out like little gnomes, and they go out and they collect candy and they bring it back. And you kind of steal it from them. Very good. I know the Morrises do. But it's uh, where to take advantage of your kids. <laughs> so that's right. You're helping them save themselves from themselves. That's good. Very good. We, um, the, the question that Brandon opened up with was, what's the most disturbing thing that you saw over Halloween? And I have this kind of trifecta tie. One of them was we do a college group on Thursday nights at the house, and a couple of them came over last night, and these self-made, self-inflicted wounds, what it was, but these orange big giant pumpkin costumes with tights on, that wasn't good. Uh, I saw my, my uh, mother-in-law in, this is, we were at the parade, and little kid parade. My mother-in-law shows up in a pumpkin outfit with these striped legging tight things on, Love my mother-in-law. We don't need to see that. We can leave that at home. That was a little bit disturbing. And my, my wife took my son to the uh, pumpkin patch to go do whatever you do with the pumpkin patch. I don't know what, hay rides and stuff. He's nine months. What can he do? But they took him to the pumpkin patch, and she put him in this pilgrim-looking outfit. And it, was, it had like a, a, a dicky type thing going up here and like leggings, stockings on. And I was like, I used to think my son was a son, but apparently I was mistaken in that. So... It's kind of a tie between those things. Um, but if you want, and I'll, I'll promise you this, if nothing else, today, let, me, let me give you full disclosure too, since I've talked bad about my mother-in-law. Last service I, I referred to as my grandmother, and that's not good. I'm going to pay for that later on. But a couple weekends ago, they had a market up on the square, and we were walking around. My mom and my, my wife and I were pushing my kid around in the stroller, walking around. We went to the toy store on the far side of the square, and we thought it was going to be a great time. And so I'm pushing my kid in the stroller, family bliss, it's great. This lady walks up and um, says, to, says to, oh, this is great, have the kid out. And she looks down at my son, and she says, and look at you, having a nice big day out with your grandfather, that's great. <laughs> I'm just like, yes. So uh, <laughs> we laugh to hide the pain. It's good. It's, uh, it hurts. It's not good. But I'll promise you this about today. It's not going to be very long, and it's also extremely simple, um, but at the same time, I think it's also somewhat harsh. So I want you to hear the heart behind it before we get into it. 
the heart behind this isn't that it would be harsh or that it would be um, convicting necessarily, but at the same time, I think that there's kind of a call to action. We're moving into Thanksgiving week or the month of November towards Thanksgiving. We're talking about doing something good for people, doing nice deeds. And so it kind of comes off of that. It may sound harsh. Trust me, it's not. Love you. Thank you. Great. And so uh, let's move forward from that. But uh, if you turn to James chapter 2, we're going to start with uh, verse 14 and go down to 20. But it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And people misunderstand or misinterpret what that's saying, and some people use it to twist around Christian theology and kind of use it to their own purposes. Some people kind of interpret it as, if I'm doing stuff, I'm out doing good deeds, I'm out involved in the community, I'm working at the soup line, I'm building houses. If I'm doing those things, that's enough. That's good enough. My actions will will get me through and be enough to push me over the threshold. Other people look at that and say, now, now wait a second, that's, I thought we were saved by grace alone and by faith alone, and then if I love God enough and, and I believe in His salvation and the crucifixion, then that's good enough. And some people confuse that. And the essence of it is simply this. All it's saying is, is that if I have faith, if I believe what I believe, if I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins, that He saved me, that I live under grace, that I'm free of my sins, if I believe that and own that and walk in it, then the natural response off of that is, I'm going to be doing stuff. I'm going to be doing deeds. I'm going to be out serving other people. Because the essence of it is this. God loves people. God's passionate about people. God desires for people to be healed and to be whole and to have a life that's complete. And if God's passionate about that, and I'm saying in my life that I'm passionate about Him, what that means by default is that I'm passionate about what He's passionate about. And if he says, I love people, I want people to be healed and whole and live in houses that aren't riddled with flood and mold and disease, if I want that, then you need to want that too. That's all I'm saying. And, and I think back to when, when I first started dating my, my, my bride and I was going after her and trying to engage her, trying to get her to like me. And I realized this is the girl I want to marry. This is the deal. I started to do things that didn't make sense to me. I started to you have these late night phone calls where you're talking and, and, and built into the male DNA is this genetic thing that says, I hate phones. I hate talking on the phone. I don't want to spend time on the phone, especially extended time on the phone. And all of a sudden I recognize, man, I like this girl and I think this might be the one I want to marry. And next thing you know, you're like talking on the phone. It's 12, it's one in the morning. You're like, what am I, what am I doing? And, 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 you know, honestly, you're not really doing much of the talking. You kind of got the phone over here. You're kind of acting like you're listening, but you're really not. You're just kind of, uh-huh, yeah, and she's just yapping. But you're like, at least you're there. You're part of it. And so I started, you know, you talk on the phone late, and you can probably tell by my physical specimen here that I'm not a big walker either. And so we start spending these long walks. We're going to go over to the mountain and the woods, and we're going to walk on the trails. It's like, this is great. We're frolicking with the deer, and it's like, you know, come on. That's, uh, I don't do that either. 
you start going to these family functions where they're playing like family bingo and stuff, and you're like, dude, what am I doing? This, this is not, and all of a sudden, somehow, that makes sense. Somehow, that seems logical to you that because I like her, because I love her, because she's the one that I'm going to marry, it stirs me to do these deeds and these actions. For her part, she had to, I don't know if she had to compromise or, or sell out, but she had to realize that a romantic date didn't involve steak and going to a nice restaurant. No, you can do it at Captain D's. You can do it at the Crystal. You can do it at the Varsity. It's great. You know, she's learned to embrace the wholesome goodness of the three-piece fish and more because it's, it's just that good. And so when I recognize that this is what I love, this is who I love, this is who I want to spend the rest of my life with, it changes some of your mindset and it spurs you into action. And so in James, when it says faith without work is dead, what that means is it's like with Molly. If I'm not showing her that I love her, if I'm not going out of my way to do things to show her that I love her and engaged in conversation and engaged in walk and doing those romantic things that are a genetic impossibility for me, if I'm not doing those things, for her, the recognition is, well, maybe, maybe that love's not real. Maybe it's not genuine. Maybe it's not wholesome. And so if I love her, the deeds flow off of that. And if you look at Psalm 139, I think it's this, there's a triple layer of recognition here. Psalm 139 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. There's this, there's this kind of three layers of recognition here. One, it's a, rec- it's a recognition of who he is. This recognition of he is God, he is good, he is powerful, he's the one that made me, he's the one that put me together. There's another layer of recognition where you realize everything that he makes is good. All that he's touched, all that he's put his fingers and his hands on to craft and to mold, everything he does is good. And then that third layer of revelation is simply this. I recognize that he is, that he's powerful, that he's good. I recognize that everything that he makes is good and touches is good. And then wait a second, he made me. And so that third recognition is he's made me. Everything he touches and makes is good and is awesome. So what that means for me is I'm good. I'm awesome. He's given me great skills and talents. David's been talking for a long time about this deal about this thing you're being called into, about all these skills and talents and gifts that he's equipped you with to go out and do this deal. For the last month, he's been talking about wineskins, new wineskins for new wine. And he's saying that your wineskins are going to conform to the deal that you've been made for, the deal that you've been suited for. And so if God is good and everything that he makes is good, and I know that he's made me and I know that I'm good, then what's the purpose for the wineskin? What's the purpose for this wineskin that he's given me and this deal that he's calling me into? And if you think about a wineskin, there's two things that happens with it. Number one, it's used to pour into. You fill it up. And the backside of that is you use it to pour out. And so he's crafted me, he's made me, he's put me together in this great package so he can fill me up with his spirit, with his presence, with his power, with his love and his conviction. And then his desire off of that is for me to pour it back out. And if you look at Psalm 139, it says this in verse 14. It says, I praise you because I am. That's, that's the action. That's the James 2. 
It's because I know that you've made me like this and I know that you're good and you're powerful and I choose you and I love you. Because of that, I choose to praise you. And so the question off of that becomes for us, how do we praise him? What are the things that we do to praise him? It's more than just singing songs. It's more than just taking little cards and passing them out and saying, God bless you, and that's great. All those things are great, but all those things in isolation are insufficient. And so when we say, I praise you, the last song that we sang was, with my whole heart, with my whole life, with everything about me, I'm in for you. I choose you. And if you look at Philippians 2, it's the last time we'll flip. If you look at Philippians 2, it says this. I want you to listen for two things. Listen for all of the ifs that are in this passage, and then listen for the then. The then. I can't even speak. Listen for the thens. There's a lot of ifs and there's a lot of thens. And when you talk about grace and faith and deeds and works, those two things are mutually inclusive. If I have faith, if I believe, then I do work. I work for him. And so listen to Philippians 2. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now wait a second. We have to go back to Psalm 139. You read Psalm 139. I'm awesome. He's made me great. He's put me together. Everything he touches is good. He's made me awesome. And then in Philippians 2 it says, don't do it out of selfish conceit. You ask yourself the question, why did he make me like this? Why did he give me the skills and the talent to do construction, to make things, to create things out of lumber and concrete? Why did he give me a heart of compassion that hurts when I hear people that are struggling financially and I, and I have some financial resource I can use to heal them? Why did he put me together like that? So I can use it for selfish ambition, so I can use it to make myself great, so I can use it to make myself a lot of money? And the answer is no. Don't do it out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, and stop for a second there, go back to Psalm 139. Everything that he touches is good. How much better is the God himself? And so when you talk about Jesus, it says, being in very nature God. This is the best of the best of the best. How good is that? And so being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Other translations say this. They say that he poured himself out, that he emptied himself. When you look at that in the Greek, the Greek word for that is echinosin. And what echinosin means literally is to make void or to make null, to make as nothing. And so if the attitude of Christ, being in very nature God, was to, I'm going to pour myself out, I'm going to empty myself, I'm going to give myself away, even death on a cross, then what's our attitude? What's our heart? And you go back to James, and James says, faith without works is dead. I believe that I believe that I believe and I know that I know that this is the real deal, that God is good, that God is right, that Christ died on the cross for my sin. The natural progression off of that then is to do what? To pour it back out. He's given me this wineskin. He's given me this set of skills and talents. He's given me a heart that chooses him, that desires him, that prefers him. And so I've been filled with his spirit and filled with his power. 
for the purpose of pouring that back out and serving others. And when you start talking about we went to Costa Rica several years ago. I've probably been all told about 11 times over the years to Costa Rica, different trips, different times. But we always go to this city called Cortez. And in the city of Cortez, we built a church and a parsonage and a, and a bathhouse and all these different things. But this last time we went, it's been a couple of years now, was a little bit different. The church has always been kind of floundering, kind of just hanging on, trying to get by. And the last time we went, they had a new pastor, a guy named Pastor Francisco. Pastor Francisco was about 5'3"-ish, maybe. And he was in his 60s, maybe working up towards his 70s. So shorter guy, smaller guy, and also a guy who was, who was a little bit longer in the tooth, a little bit older. But here's the deal. This guy outworked everybody. In Costa Rica, when you're in the city, apparently the sun comes up at like 3 in the morning, and the trucks start rolling about 3.30 in the morning, the dingoes start howling for whatever reason about four in the morning. And so, I mean, you really can't sleep. And, and on top of that, by five in the morning, it's about 4,000 degrees. It's just miserable. You have 100% humidity. It's just awful. But this guy, I got up one morning about 4.30. I was going to get my day going, walked by this room, and I hear all these voices just, and there's crying, and there's, and there's passion, and there's loud talking. And I peek in there, and at four in the morning, Pastor Francisco is in there with a group of guys just praying, just going after, you know, we want our city healed, we want it to made whole, we want healing in our church, we want unity, just praying. And he was doing this for about an hour. He gets done praying. Now, we're still rousing up the American gringos trying to get him out of bed. These are teenagers and young folks that are supposed to have a little energy and pep to them. And we're having to kick them out of bed. We get up and, 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 and start working about 5.30. He started working about five after praying for about an hour. He's out there shoveling rocks and raking. Our kids are playing with their handheld games on the stoop over there. And he's moving the wheel. All the work that we were going to be doing, he already prepped all the work that we were doing. He brought the wheelbarrows around and got the concrete mixers loaded and all the rock loaded up there. And he just kept going. Now, he's doing all this in polyester dress pants and dress shoes and a full collar and sleeves on. I'm like, Dude, what are you doing? You're making me look bad. And they just kept going. Teenagers were still kicking him out of bed. He goes for about four hours. He stops for lunch for 15 minutes and then goes back out and is doing it again and again. We stopped working at 3.30 so we could do vacation Bible school, which means half of us slept. He's still going. He went for two more hours. And I'm like, dude, how, how you, how's this guy doing it? And he did this day after day after day. And I look over there, and we have this 50-gallon drum that, had a, that, that was the water we were using to mix the concrete. And we're all dipping buckets out and bringing it back over and dipping buckets out and bringing it back over. And the 50-gallon drum never emptied. And I looked at it one day, because he was working on the side, and there was a hose that was going into the 50-gallon drum that was constantly keeping it filled. And so the drum was being filled. It was pouring water, spilling water over the sides. And so I'm watching this gallon, this 50-gallon drum, and then I'm watching Pastor Francisco. And I'm watching the 50-gallon drum, and I'm watching Pastor Francisco. And it's the same thing. He never stopped pouring out. He never stopped oozing out what was coming inside of him. You know, he had this, this pipeline. He had this direct link to God. The Holy Spirit was moving in him, was pouring into him, was constantly filling and he was doing the only natural thing, which was to work and to pour it back out. 
That's Philippians 2.7. It's if I get this, if I understand who he is, if I understand how powerful and awesome he is, if I understand all the blessings that he's poured into my life and continues to pour in my life, the only natural response is to pour it back out. It's to continually, continuously echinosin, to continuously pour my life out for the sake of others. And that's hard. And it sounds hard. And, and I know this. He's not going to put you into something or call you into something that doesn't fit your deal. You know, like for me right now, I was listening to Veronica speak earlier about going there. They're doing a, a birthday party today, I think is correct. They're going over there and they're bringing cake and they're going to have a birthday party for a nine-year-old girl, and they're going to bring cards and things like that. For me, I'm like, that's not my deal. Doing a birthday party, bringing cards and cupcakes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, give me the clown suit. Let me be that guy. I can do that. Don't let me, don't let me be the cupcake guy. You know, the, the Thatcher and that group, they're going off and doing construction. They're going to build homes. and the, That's really not my skill set either. I can knock a wall down with the best of them. I just can't put it back up. And so that's not my deal. Now, if you want me to go over there and be a strong back and a weak mind, I'm your guy. I can lift heavy things. I can tote stuff. But don't ask me to do any kind of skilled labor. So I know this. He's got something for you. He desires for you to do. He's calling you into something. But it's going to fit your wineskin. It's going to fit your deal. Does that make sense? And so I know we, we, we get this mindset of, I've got to do something, I've got to go serve, I'm going to go to Africa, and I'm going to build huts, and I'm going to, or I'm going to, I'm going to go, that doesn't, it doesn't matter, that, that doesn't matter, don't get caught up in that. My question for the, well, I'm going to go to Africa and build people is this, would you be okay if he said, I want you to stay home and build? Would you be okay if he says, I want you to go over to South Cobb and build that home? Are you okay with that? If not, check your motives. It, 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 I, I, want to, I want to be a school teacher and be in the schools and teach. Okay, would you be okay doing that in Africa? So whatever it is, ask yourself, check your motives. Am I okay if he says go? Or am I okay if he says stay? Because either way, it has to be him. And I, I, a couple years ago, and we'll finish up with this, and, and some of you probably went to First Methodist Church a while back. Maybe some of you still attend First Methodist Church. I was over there for years, went there years ago, and I guess this was about 15 years ago, so I, I was about six or so, but, but 15 years ago, I was over there, and, and they had a revival-type deal, and Tony Campola was the guest speaker, and you had this church, this sanctuary filled with people, there's you know, 500 people, 600 people there, and, and Tony's up, and the, and the church was an older congregation, more mature, more experienced, and Tony's up there talking, and he walks on the stage, and, and everybody in the audience is... And so I'll let Tony Campola. Tony's great. Here comes Tony, right? And Tony walks out on stage and polite applause from the crowd. And, and Tony says, starts off with this. How many of you slept well last night? How y'all doing this morning? How many of you slept well last night? And of course, everybody's like, oh, it was great, Tony. I slept well. I got this dream magic bed. I dialed my number. It was just great. Slept well. And then he goes from there. He says, now how many of y'all had a good meal last night? How many of you ate well last night? And people are like, Tony, it was great. It was great. I had a steak. It was dinner. I slept well. I ate well. And Tony goes, that's great. That's awesome. Proud of you. But let me just throw this out there for you. While you were sleeping well last night and eating well last night, Tony says, about 30,000 kids between the age of three and nine died of starvation. And everybody gets that. Oh, that's awful, Tony. 
That's awful, Tony. That's just awful. And then he goes a step further. Now, I'm gonna, this is a little bit harsh, but this is what he said. He said, and the real sad truth about that is simply this, that, that most of you here, you just don't give a damn. And then there's a rumbling in the seats. Did you hear what he just said? He just said, he just said, he just used a bad word in the church. You can't do that. And he's just bad. And then he said this. He goes a step further and he said, the real sad part of it is simply this. That more of you are concerned right now about the wording I just used than you are with the fact that tonight when you go back to sleep, 30,000 more people are going to die of starvation. And I think this. We're all called to serve. We're all called to move into an area where we pour our lives out because of what he's poured into us. It may not look like you want it to. It may not be what you want it to be. But I think that we can't stand by and worry about propriety. We can't worry about image. We can't worry about the language of things. It's simply a call to go. And so when he says, move, and I love him, you go back to the real simple truth. What's the greatest of the commandments? Love the Lord God with your, all, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's these three things. I love God desperately, passionately. I know he died on a cross for my sins. I choose him. I prefer him. And because, Psalm 139, because I know everything that he makes is good and everything that he makes is wonderful, I can love myself because I know that his hand is all over me. And because I know that he loves me and that I'm good and I'm valued to him, I can pour my life out for the sake of others. And so we ask ourselves, Tony Campola, am I worried about propriety? Am I worried about not having the right skill set? Am I worried about saying the wrong thing? Or am I simply going because I know there's a need? And we, 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 you've given, been given these cards. By the way, I missed it the first time. I, I thought we were supposed to take one. People are taking five. I'm, I'm not super Christian. I'm going to get some more on the way out. But you have these cards. I would challenge you with this, and, and, and David can fix this next week when I mess it up, but, but I would challenge you with this. Don't give the card out just to give the card out. Don't look for things to do just to give the card out. The card should be the afterthought. The card should be this piece of paper that if you remember it, you may be walking down the street, oh, I forgot to give him the card. Don't do it because there's a card to be given out. Do it because your heart's moved. Do it because your soul's stirred. Do it because you recognize that you've been seized by the power of the great affection. And that your only natural response is, I love him so much that I'm willing to lay my life down. And so as Bo comes back up and, and sorry, you have to release the baby. <laughs> or you can sing with the baby. But as Bo comes back up, I, I would just challenge you with this. Some of us don't do it. Some of us don't engage with it because we're afraid. We're afraid that our skill's not good enough. We're afraid that we're not talented enough. We're afraid that we're not going to have the right words. Some of, some of us don't engage with it because we think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be too taxing, it's going to cost too much. I would say this. I think some of us in here, and, and not to, it's my particular mind for me, very dear to my heart, but I think some of, us, some of us fall on the opposite end of the spectrum, and we're just out there shotgunning it right now. Because we are stirred, we're trying to engage in everything. We're trying to serve in all kinds of different capacities. We're trying to be involved in this ministry and this ministry and this ministry. And because we're shotgunning it, we're absolutely just poured out and we can't have enough to fill us back in. But I think the same truth is there, whether it's on this end of the spectrum where 
I'm scared, I'm afraid, so I'm not really engaging in anything. Or on this end where I'm shotgunning it, trying to get involved in everything, and I'm doing too much, and I'm spread too thin, and I'm ended up being ineffective. It's the same idea. I'm trying to operate out of self, and I'm not allowing him to operate through me. And so I'm going to close this in prayer, and I would simply say this. David says, has been saying for a long time, just do something. He's also been saying that he's got this great deal for you, that God has a deal for you, that he wants to use you to, to work in, to move through. He's been talking for a month about wineskins, about how we're shaped and crafted for exactly what our deal is. I think this is a great time to say, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm going all in, and I'm throwing into it, and I'm saying, this is my deal. And I don't know if I touched on this a while back, but ESPN, for years, for two or three years running, number one show on ESPN was the World Series of Poker. You know, that's not even a sport. It's cards. The number one show on ESPN for, for two or three years running was the World Series of Poker. And the reason people watch the World Series of Poker is not so they can watch the guy say, I fold. You know what? I, I'm out. That's not good enough. They watch the whole thing to see that all-in moment. The moment where the guy says, you know what? I'm all in. All my cards, everything I have, I'm throwing it on the table, and if I lose, I lose, but I'm going to win big. They watch it for the all-in moment. I think the reason that's the number one show on ESPN for years running, it could have been football, could have been bowling, whatever. could have been any of these things. Number one show is poker. The number one moment in poker is the all-in moment, and the reason is this, because it's so uncommon to watch somebody live a life that says, I'm all-in. And I think what he wants to say is this. I want you, as a body, as a group, as a church, to go all in. All your service, all your heart, all your passion, pour it out and serve. So let me pray for us and the worship team will go. Let's pray. Father God, we do do thank you, Lord. We love you. Uh, We praise you for who you are, for how you move, the way that you work. Uh, Lord, I praise you for this congregation, for hearts that do know you, for hearts that choose you, that prefer you, for hearts that desire to work for you on your behalf. Lord, I pray that you would stir something deep inside of us that says, I can't sit still, I'm moved, and I've got to move into what you're doing. So Lord, I pray that you would whip up in us this energy, this passion, this desire to see those that you know are hurting, this desire to serve those that that need to be served. Uh, But Lord, don't let us sit still. Don't let us be still when there's so much need that's there. Father, we thank you. We love you. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen.